and this whole uh, experience of reflections, of, of reflecting qualities that, uh, that lead us to this sense of liberation. And those are the one of gladness and the one of rapture. And I would begin this process with a very brief reflection on how each of these builds on the one previous to it. This idea of dependent. Dependent means conditioned upon, resting, resting upon, built upon, given this condition, then that. This whole idea of an interlinking and having a, a kind of a respect for the beauty of that interlinking, but also a kind of respect for each of us in contemplating something that's this kind of subtlety, that's, that's so much subtlety in it. So back to the beginning of this, with the, the whole idea of liberation first dependent on suffering. That really is a radical understanding. It's a radical shift in perspective. It's letting our minds move away from the conditioned relationship we have with suffering to a new kind of relationship that is not of the ordinary form. It's not coming from the, the view that, would, that leads to the kinds of uh, choices others make in terms of finding some sort of happiness in this plane. To uh, quote my teacher, the Venerable Ajahn Sumedho's teacher, the Venerable Ajahn Chah, he, he says there are two kinds of suffering. The suffering that leads to more suffering and the suffering that leads to the end of suffering. First kind of suffering, the suffering that leads to more suffering. That is the ordinary strategy. That we engage in the kind of suffering that leads to more suffering as we try to distract ourselves or uh, uh, have a strategy that there's only pleasant, there's nothing unpleasant, and so forth. And so that's the suffering that leads to more suffering. And then the second kind of suffering, the suffering that leads to the end of suffering. And Ajahn Chah goes on, he says, if you're not willing to face the second kind of suffering, you will surely continue to face the first. It's a very clear decision, and it is like a key to dancing with life, this understanding from the Buddhist perspective so, the suffering that leads to more suffering is the kind of suffering that comes about when we're enmeshed in and identified with the wanting mind, with our thirst, uh, the thirst for sensual pleasures of all kinds, for this becoming and for not being. That's the second noble truth, which is not to talk tonight, but nonetheless, to know that this, that this is rooted 
in the Four Noble Truths, this, this whole understanding that starts this, this new relationship with suffering. So it's from the beginning dependent on our making a change in view for this to, to uh, ever get started, this, this, this uh, uh, dependent uh, uh, liberation, this transcendent de dependent liberation. And that to make a shift in our way that we're relating to suffering requires the kind of investigation that's referred to in the seven factors of awakening. That there is a need for investigation to see for ourselves, not to take someone else's word for it, but to see for ourselves the, the futility of the ordinary relationship to suffering and, and therefore to have the motivation to ask ourselves, is there some other way to relate to the truth of this life? It's unsatisfactoriness, it's ever-changing nature, all of these different things that, that come up under this broad term of dukkha. And so uh, we've been on this retreat all of this time together, and our investigation takes the form of listening, because we're not reading here, we're just listening, by, by our, our studying ourselves and studying. We're not studying written materials or anything, but we're studying, we're, like, we're reflecting, we're, we're really like saying, hmm, what's true and not true of what I've heard, and how would I apply that, how would I practice this? And then through the, the actual manifestation of of the of of our practice of our cultivation being present in the moment so there's a kind of applying that we're doing we're 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 using the things that have been suggested the things we brought with as skillful means to this retreat we're applying there's a kind of doing involved in this and to recognize that oh there's doing involved and there's also this kind of knowing oh yeah I know this, that seems true. Oh yeah, I'm feeling this right now. The knowing of the moment and the knowing that we know of, of, of as our insights start to grow. So there's doing and there's knowing and then there's being. It's just being in this moment, here, now. In the stillness that's still moving. Right now. Just being, just being present. No doing involved necessarily. No knowing even necessarily. Knowing will arise in the stillness, in the here and the now, but we don't have to be efforting to get to the knowing. And the same with the doing. There's times when we have to apply ourselves, our mind's restless or we're sleepy and we go, oh, is there some way to help balance this? Uh, so some of the other hindrances are present and so we, we ask, is there something I can do with this? But most important is our willingness to be with what is in as relaxed manner as possible. So from this, from this uh, new relationship with, um, with suffering, there comes a moment when we have this uh, realization that Ajahn Sumedho refers to as recognizing the good of, of dukkha. 
the good of dukkha. And what's that good? It's waking us up. It's the prod. And when I was talking about the five hindrances being our teachers, dukkha stops us from being asleep. It gives us motivation to wake up. It gives us motivation to say, is this all there is? Is it really just some Pavlovian uh, response of pleasant I go one way, unpleasant I go the other? Is that the dance of life? Just that little bit of pleasant and unpleasant responding to my old habits and my old uh, conditioning? Is that all life is, trying to make the most of that? With the kind of suffering that I've experienced around that, the kind of dukkha that I see over and over again, some dukkha that's existential even, that's just the being in a body, that's uh, being born, which uh, is a, a, a death sentence. To be born is to receive a death sentence. Anything that is born will die. So that's so hard for the ego to even let in let alone to start to deal with. And so we, but when time we start to look at all this and we start to see that, that oh, there is, there is this other way. And uh, uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi uh, refers to it as a moment when we realize that dukkha, that we just when that moment of suffering arises, we realize, oh, this is just one more turning of the wheel and we turn away from it. We don't just go one more round of, of, of going into our soap opera, going into our helplessness, going into our self-criticism. We, we turn to look at it in a different way. And this takes a lot of courage because, of course, it's going against all of our conditioning and the way of the world. So we are, we are going against the current of, of our culture in this way. It requires a reevaluation of, of our values. And Bhikkhu Bodhi says something that's uh, quite meaningful to me in describing this whole chain of, of uh, dependent liberation. And he says, it opens us up when we make that switch, when we make that turn, it opens us to a confidence in an unseen order of relations and interconnections. Unseen order of relations and interconnections. Because this isn't the way the world thinks. It's not the way the world perceives. So we're making a shift here. All of you, like all of us in our roles, if you weren't really interested in this, there's no way you would give up a month of your life or two months of your life to be here. You have either a conscious or unconscious feeling for this already that's led to this kind of shift. So you already came in with seeking this new relationship with, with suffering. Many of you have done so many years earlier and have much, much practice in, in working in this new relationship. And I, I uh, quote him because... I dare I say on my own an unseen order because it can sound like some other kind of a religion. But the unseen order is the lawfulness that the Buddha pointed to over and over again. That it's lawful. That this, this manifest world is lawful. That there is an, there is an order to it. And that the, the, in teaching the end of suffering, 
that there's a lawfulness that allows us to come to the end of suffering. That's really a, a, a revolutionary statement, and that that we ourselves are, are responsible for this, that we ourselves have the capability of doing this. And so, uh, as this urge for liberation arises, and we we uh, we see that we, looking back, we can see that it was dependent on our reflection and our recognizing the way it is. So there was, there's, the whole idea of a dependent, that this is conditioned on this, even for us to, for us to recognize this new relationship, this new possibility with suffering, that's dependent on a lot of good work you've done. So bows to you. Uh, uh, each of you may have your own appraisal of how this retreat's going and how well you're doing and what you think others are doing compared to you. That's papancha mind, that judging and comparing. No, you've been in the Dhamma. You've chosen the Dhamma. You've chosen this new relationship with suffering. You, you have, you've had enough recognition, enough reflection and recognition to make that choice. Your, the, the empowerment is already occurring. We're just catching up with ourselves and sometimes having to let the hindrances be sufficiently quiet so we can recognize this. And so as, as, out of this comes this faith, you know, there's faith. We wouldn't do this without a degree of faith, and Ruth described faith last night. And so we come, we come now to this third link, that of the gladness of mind. The gladness of mind. And um, I sometimes refer to this, this is personal to me, because it's my experience. I've had other teachers say something similar, or in, uh, maybe even one instance use the same word. Instead of gladness of mind, delight of mind. There's a delight. And the classic reference to it is in relation to uh, being safe from uh, causing harm in any way so that the precepts, the not causing harm, the bliss of blamelessness brings us to this feeling of gladness of mind. The mind has a kind of contentment of being in the Dhamma being in the Dhamma as expressed in the precepts, that we're not causing harm. We're not causing harm right now. When we're still trying to outwit dukkha, the first noble truth that there is dukkha, that's not a time when the mind can get very content because we're so busy scheming. And we'll go back and forth in this, let me hasten to add. Things will be going really well, and you go, oh, you know, I'm really kind of happy. Then we start plotting how we can make this happiness be everyday happiness, and despite all the things that we good and well know about our daily life, we start imagining how it's all going to be happy. <laughs> and uh, that's fine. That's part of how we learn is through these kinds of, uh, of thinking that we realize that sooner or later is not real and not so useful. So... Once we've settled in, once we're content to be in the Dhamma as reflected by the, the precepts, by this sense of not uh, being without blame, the, the mind starts to have 
an, a, 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 a kind of delight, a kind of lightness comes into the mind. There's a, there's a sense of uh, ease in the mind. That's how I experience this gladness. And it's not some um, remote thing. Don't make a thing out of it that you, that you don't get to experience or that you can't understand. It's a very ordinary feeling. There's been other reasons, other times, that you've had this lightness of mind, this kind of gladness of mind, this kind of delight. Your entire life, if, uh, if you're lucky at some point in childhood and all the way through, at least episodes, moments of it. And so the, the, the mind becomes integrated and cohesive in a, in a light way. This is not some big ponderous thing, but you definitely know there's some ease in the mind. Two ways of this knowing, remember doing, knowing, and being. So the, this, in this being of, of lightness, of this gladness, two ways you may feel it. I'm saying this because some of you in our practice discussions have lamented about the felt sense. So there's two ways that we know. Uh, that when uh, the Venerable Sumedho says, uh, this moment is like this, this knowing of the moment. There's one way of knowing that's, uh, that's a more of an... Uh, 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 emphasis on the mind where uh, gladness is being known would be a way to capture that. Gladness is being known. There's a, there's a recognition and it's, it's, it's heavily mental. Does not, it's not excluding the physical, but at this point in time, or it, it's your very nature that you tend to have more of that kind of recognition. Other people have much more of an embodied sense of of the, the felt sense of gladness being known in the body. Whether, however it's being known for you, there's just this recognition. And again, it's not some big drum roll thing. It's just, oh yeah, there's an ease here. There's a contentment. Uh, I've uh, sat in so many retreats hearing Dharma talks, you know, the fifteenth, fifteenth time. And so often I will marvel at how content the mind is because even though I can say what they're going to say next, <laughs> I am in the Dhamma. I'm just sitting in the Dhamma. Nothing bad about that. And that's, that's that same contentment of mind. And uh, uh, Mahasi Sayadaw refers to that as one of the ways that you can bring this kind of gladness of mind. And he also talks about the noticing of the absence of the hindrances, that there's this kind of, uh, oh, wow, there's no hindrances here. The mind is light. You notice you're glad because the, the mind's not weighed down with the hindrances, at least in this two-minute period of time, or ten-minute, or two-hour time, whatever it may be. And I would also suggest that gratitude itself gladdens the mind. Just being grateful, just having this gratitude, things get light. When there's gratitude, why? Because there's not any kind of grasping that's inherent. If we get, if we start to get attached to that for which we're grateful, then we've lost it because we're not being in the gratitude now. We've gone on to somewhere else. We've lost that connection to the gratitude. 
And also, uh, in my experience, certainly, and I've heard this from other yogis, uh, the, being really uh, fully participating in any of the uh, Brahma Viharas can bring the same feeling of lightness to the mind, this, this, this sense of gladness, that there's a, there's a sense of contentment that just occurs. And it may not be that your, your metta is the deepest it's ever been or got the most heart in it, but it's, it's got this good enough quality that going back again to being in the Dhamma. It's just being in the Dhamma right now. And there's there, this contentment, this, this gladness of mind. I, I refer to it as delight because it is so, at least in my experience, delightful to feel momentarily unburdened, to feel momentarily not caught in this, this chain of dependent origination, not caught in one more uh, piece of that movement that brings us down into this... Uh, tension, this unsatisfactoriness, this, uh, this sense of uh, incompleteness, not good enoughness of that, that regular life has when we're trying to make regular life be something that it can't be. Not the problem of regular life, but the problem of our misunderstanding. This, this feeling of delight or uh, gladness uh, it's reflected in this poem by Wu Men, and uh, it goes like this. Ten thousand flowers in spring, the moon in autumn, a cool breeze in summer, snow in winter. If your mind isn't clouded by unnecessary things, this is the best season of your life. If your mind isn't unclouded by unnecessary things, this is the best season of your life. If this moment is not clouded by unnecessary things, this is the best moment of your life. Here, now, still and still moving. Available here, now. Here, now. Dependent on gladness, rapture, or piti arises. That sense, again, that's why I started at the beginning, that it's dependent, it's conditioned, that there is this uh, relying upon uh, the uh, spark plug of it getting started. The mind, the mind is at ease, the mind is content. And when the mind is uh, content, that is the proximate cause of the arising of the factors that lead to concentration, one of which is piti. So there's not a lot of doing. There's actually a lot of undoing in the doing so that the mind can become content. And not that the mind is supposed to, as it's getting content, is supposed to look like a particular thing. It may be a busy thinking mind. It may be a complaining mind. It may be a sleeping mind. 
And then out of that moment, because we, when we're sitting with what it is, sleeping mind practicing, the restless mind practicing, this, this, this dawning of, of gladness arises out of being willing to be with the conditions as they are and, uh, and uh, resting in our aspiration of practice, our intention. All of these things that bring gladness of mind in this way. And so uh, in, in this, in this uh, happiness of mind of this way, this kind of delight of mind, this gladness of mind, the hindrances are diminished so that they're not dominant, or maybe there's no hindrance present at all for a period of time. And this, this, the mind starts to have, uh, we start to recognize that the mind has these subtle qualities that we don't ordinarily notice and we don't ordinarily get a chance to directly experience. One is that it will rest on an object, that it's, I call it its placeability, that the mind that's content, you can place it on the breath or you can place it on your big toe and it will rest there even. I've experimented with people with this, about the big toe, so I can make this claim. And it will, uh, the mind is placeable, it will rest anywhere when we really, when we, we, we're reaching a certain stage of ease in mind. The mind's also flexible. That is, it can have an, a, a, a disruption occur and it not be disturbed by the disruption. It goes right back to its contentment, and it can ride the up and down of various experiences without losing its ongoing sense of itself. And then the third phrase I use, third word I use, is pliable, that the mind, when it gets content, can form itself around any task or reflection. And that's why as, uh, as we, that, that pliability that it can, it can sort of form itself around any consideration is what empowers it to go on to the, to the sukha and the, tr the tranquility and the sukha and all that come later. And this, because the mind's getting subtle, it's really pliable, it's not so fixed. It's coming to its more natural form when things aren't interrupting it. This is all regular. It's, it's regular, it's normal uh, 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 progression coming from this, this letting loose of the other fixed view, and then as we, we, we uh, one, one, of, one of these characteristics just does naturally come to the other. So you could never have heard any of these teachings and some form of this would happen. Maybe you would skip certain links in this or that you wouldn't recognize them when they occurred, but it's a natural unfolding. It's not, there's not a me imposing this unfolding. The unfolding is coming because the conditions that are necessary, that they are dependent on, are present. Keep stressing that. So there's not this grabbing effort, stressing. And then as we, as we drop into this, we, uh, we, we start to experience this rapture. And the, the the way that we feel the rapture might be in this quality, subtle qualities of mind, and that's it. We don't, we don't have any big fireworks. It's just this subtle sense of uh, that, oh, look at my, my mind, my, just this appreciation of the mind, how it's gotten, it's gotten more flexible, it's, got, it's placeable, it's got these qualities to it. And uh, in some ways, it's, um, it's like there's an enhanced 
uhness to the to the mind that's got an enhanced awareness and that's the rapturous feeling and there's a charge in that but it does but you wouldn't necessarily notice it as rapture uh, adrian is very fond of when she gives this talk of talking about rapt, uh, rapture as rapt attention and i really like that this this idea of rapt attention because for many people that is what you most of the of uh, the experience of it will be it's like the mind's gotten brighter the mind's gotten it's kind of on uh, uh, some sort of you know i don't know the stimulants like red bull or something like that <laughs> is that it is that one anyway whatever those are it's like it's got a kind of enhancement but none of the none of the coarseness none of the uh, downside of that there's the mind is is it's got a charge an energetic charge that's it's rapt attention like wow you're really here really here and so enjoy that you might experience this rapt attention this rapture as a kind of physical unwinding so you're there and something starts happening in the body or there's some sort of emotional thing that is happening or it's even i i refer to that this again my language uh, but even feeling something in the brain stem around this when the mind's gotten concentrated to a certain level so whatever has been traumatized whatever's been um uh challenged sometimes that the, the this this rapture takes the form of a rebalancing of that and so um uh, the thing to note about this is that this rapture, this rapt attention, comes from what is termed born of seclusion. The mind has become secluded. Secluded from what? The hindrances of the wanting, of the ill will. The mind is having its own experience. It's not being induced from outside this is the mind doing itself it's coming to itself it's coming into itself it's resting in itself it's it's all opening unfolding in this kind of beautiful way like an orchid unfolds or, and so forth like a lotus leaf unfolds and uh, so these things start to happen sometimes it is uh, much more ecstatic in feeling and, and again, not other times. So an example of a kind of ecstasy, uh, this is from uh, W.B. Yeats, and he describes his little moment of ecstasy. My 50th year had come and gone. I sat, a solitary man, in a crowded London shop, an open book and empty cup on the marble tabletop. While on the shop and street I gazed, my body of a sudden blazed. In twenty minutes, more or less, it seemed so great my happiness that I was blessed and could bless. That's this kind of uh, uh, rapture, that this kind of, um, you could call it, a kind of ecstatic experience. I refer to it uh, oftentimes as an energetic charge. The mind has uh, really gotten charged by, by coming back to itself in this way. And uh, so I'll sometimes say neuroelectrical. 
that there is an enhanced well-being, a strengthening of the mind, a heightened awareness, an effortless mindfulness, uh, a, a sense of an altered mind state that may not be very clear in what way it's altered, but your mind feels altered. All of these things often any given one of them pointing to this this rapture in this way. There's a classic description uh, in the Theravadan teachings of rapture, and there's a kind of they they present a small, very uh, 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 modest map of what these what some of these states are like, because they vary in intensity. And when I say it's a modest map, because one could divide these, these different experiences a hundred ways, and this is, this is a five-division map to just give a general feeling of this, to again trying to um, have us recognize the range of experience and... Um, uh, uh, it's it's more important to recognize the the more subtle, the more uh, 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 blended in moments of rapture than the big ones, because we put way too much emphasis in terms of uh, the the trying to have some big experience if we don't see the folly of that. So the the first of these five types of of rapt attention or rapture experience of neuroelectrical experience is that of minor rapture. And this is when the, uh, the charge, the energetic, is kind of weak. And the, you might notice it as a feeling, a, a certain energetic feeling, or there's a thrill. You know how your body can be thrilled when like something's going on? So there's a little thrill. And that's it. And then you go right on. <laughs> that was it. So, and that's enough. There's not, there's not something to, uh, there's not a mountain to climb here. And it may be vibration. You feel this, this vibration all over your body or in parts of your body. And that's the rapture that's arising at this moment. Likewise with goosebumps. Likewise with a, uh, a kind of uh, uh, energetic bubbling. There's kind of like this thing of like if some, there's a fresh spring or it's feeling of that. <laughs> there is a sense of maybe enhanced energy for you. And that's it. Oh, this enhanced energy. And energy for practice. Um, it's said in the text uh, that uh, the hair will raise and body hair, both like your the uh, uh, that like hair on my arms has raised, that sort of thing. Um, I, I've known two people where their hair, the hair on their head raises. And one person, it would stay like that. I mean, it would like stay like that for days after this happened. <laughs> and um, uh, when uh, the people that, he, when this first happened, the people that he was studying under had never seen anything like this. And their first response is, maybe you should go home. <laughs> when I heard this, I was going, mm, would not have been my first response. <laughs> and 
they can be the there's in this this minor there's there's this like no chance of sleepiness like there's sleep is not anywhere around you're just you're awake in a in a mind awake sense and the mind can feel very strong it can feel charged ready to to uh, take on uh, the, the mindfulness or, or further concentration and so that's the minor the next level of it is this momentary rapture, which is stronger, but it's, it's, it comes in like little short doses. So it, uh, it can rush through the body like, a, like a lightning. The body can get really cool. There can be this moment of intensity, and then that passes, and there's another moment of intensity, and that intensity could ma manifest in various ways. But there's just this, these uh, these uh, moments of intensity in this way, these this 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 momentary rush of this electrical charge in this way. And then a third kind is is uh, this uh, this this kind of uh, rapture that is called showering, but I think of it as descending rapture. And it's, the, 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 it's like it's coming down through the body, coming into earth. And it breaks over the body, it's said, like waves breaking on a shore. And um, uh, again, it can be initially quite pleasant. However, even at this stage, if that keeps going on, it cannot be so pleasant. And in fact, when it gets to this stage, and even more later on, sometimes it's not pleasant at all that the, that the energy is too overwhelming for our system right now. And so we're feeling the, the, the rapture, but it's not pleasant. I've encountered this in a number of people. And then the fourth kind is this uplifting rapture where the body feels incredible light and it's like uh, there's, it's like it's almost levitating, and some teachers refer to it as actual a sense of levitation, and um, uh, in another tradition that I was part of, uh, uh, in this kind of rapture, people people were able to move while keeping their posture, while their legs were folded and everything, their bodies would just move. It was not all that interesting to me, but uh, and how much they were working to induce this because of this kind of teaching, I don't know. From my own experience in terms of this, I was um, at the beginning of my uh, teaching for Spirit Rock, and I was uh, sitting down at Yucca Valley with uh, you know, a group of teachers like we're all sitting here, and I felt my body getting really light. And I had felt this lightness before, but it didn't stop. It just kept getting lighter. And I was going, am I on the earth or not on the earth? Because I could feel no contact with earth. My body was that light. And I finally put my hand down to see because it was feeling so light. Putting my hand down did not break this experience. I went back. So this was going on for a while and uh, pleasant, but no big deal because there's no liberation in that, right? I mean, in this moment, it's a pleasant mind experience, but there's no liberation. When it's going to end and one's going to be back to one's uh, same self, it's, it's, that's why this, these kind of rapture experiences are not to be uh, pursued so much. But then 
I felt this tremor. And it's the kind of uh, feeling of a tremor that I think animals feel. And I said, there is an earthquake coming. And then some seconds later, not just like three seconds, but some seconds later, I can't say how many, the actual tremor came and everyone else felt it. And I said, this is how animals know to run before us. They are light in their body. They are not heavy the way we are, at least the way I am. As my, I can be heavy in my body. This extreme lightness of body that's not based on weight, but based on the contentment of the mind, you see. The mind, when the mind is content, the, the body can get light in this way. And then the fifth of the kinds of, of rapture is, is what's called uh, pervading rapture. And this is when it fills the whole body. It's like it floods the body. It's like a boulder, it's said, filling a cavern. It's like the way oil will, will pervade a cotton. You put it, you know, anything like that on the cotton, and it, all, it pervades all of the cotton ball. It's like that. And um, it can arise again from... Uh, the concentration, but even at this level, it can arise spontaneously, directly from gladdening mind, from the mind feeling gladdened. Happened to me sitting right back over there when the Venerable Sumedho was teaching one morning in the five o'clock, 5.30 sitting, whatever it was, and I was not particularly concentrated at all, but my mind was so glad. And uh, this happened coming out of that gladdened mind this feeling of, of, of a very strong feeling that lasted for some number of hours that was, that was definitely of this kind of rapture in this way. And never has happened again, by the way, and I have never once looked for it. So, this, this, the, the, to, in my own personal experience, far more this importance, this gladdening of the mind. Again, early in my teaching career, I was... Um, I was uh, the newbie on a teaching team, and um, um, the only newbie. And um, there was talk about uh, one of the yogis, because there had been notes written to the teachers, this person is scaring me. This person, I get nervous when this person is, comes by me to sit down in the hall. And it was, it was, they were referring to a man, they were referring to a large man, but mostly they were referring to a vibration. That's some, something that, that this man was carrying in his karmic field. And so there was this talk about, well, we're just going to have to ask him to leave. And I said, well, you know, could I, could I meet with him? And um, uh, so the, one of the two teachers seeing him said, sure. And uh, so we met together, that teacher and I met with this uh, individual together. And... Um, I said, you know, the, um, there's, there, you're, you're making people uneasy. They had already said this before to him. I said, you're making people uneasy, and this hasn't changed. And so there's this feeling that, you know, maybe you shouldn't be here. And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not supporting that. I'm here to see if I can be of assist of, of being here. But there, this is really a real consideration that, that is going to be made in the next few days. And he just got so distraught. He was from another country, and he says, I have nowhere to go, and I have no money uh, to go somewhere else. I really have to be here for the length of this retreat. And um, uh, so 
we we uh, we got this uh, uh, agreement that I would see him every day, that he would sit somewhere off by himself, and that he would guard his 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 senses as best he could, and so we we would meet, um, and uh, oftentimes he wouldn't really have much to say about his uh, about his experience, and we'd just sort of sit there for a while, and sometimes he would say this or that. He he would have a lot of images that were unpleasant images, and. One day he said to me, you know, I've done a lot of bad things. And I said, okay. And um, he said, no, really bad things. And I said, okay. And he said, and uh, I took, I took the, 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 that feeling home to my family. And they suffered too. And I said, and that's for you to sit with this. You just sit with this. You don't have to do anything about this. Just sit with this. And he said, oh, but I, I, I can't, I can't. I, he was just really having a hard time. And I said, so, have you done any of those bad things today? No. Did you do any of these bad things yesterday? No. And I went through the days of the retreat in whatever form I did. And I said, so the person sitting in this retreat has not done bad things. That the person who's here, the intent of the person here, is not a person who is willing to do bad things. That there is, you are blameless, this entire retreat. You've not done anything bad to anybody, except the way you have been so harsh with yourself, maybe, but however I said that. And, I, and so we talked about this and talked about this, and he sort of got it. So then a couple more days went by. And we're sitting there in silence in room five. <laughs> and he, he looks at me and he says, so you've known violence in your life. I said, yes, I have. He says, so because I have known violence doesn't mean that I can't do this. I said, not at all. I said, you, you, are the, you do not have to organize around your history. Organize around your, your present moment, your aspiration to be in this moment, the qualities you're bringing. And then one day, shortly after that, I was walking down by the gratitude hut, and there he was sitting in the gratitude hut. And it turned out that what he did most of his hours of sitting was sit there in the gratitude hut. And sitting in the gratitude hut brought him this peace of mind this gladdening of mind, this contentment of mind, not towards some uh, fulfillment of this entire chain, but it brought him a temporary peace of mind. It allowed him to start to be with the history in a new way, to be with the suffering in a new way. We all can, uh, through this gladdening of the mind, this virtue of blamelessness, just one day, through gratitude, sitting there in the gratitude hut, through reflecting on our aspiration, we can all begin this process of the, of the gladdening of the mind. So many of you have come in and talked about your gratitude already. And uh, this, this, the, the, the aspirations... Uh, you, uh, one of the other ways that this gladdening of the mind is talked about is reflecting on the qualities of the Buddha. There's so many different ways. And I'm emphasizing this because if, if I had to choose an experience for you, I, without exception, 
would choose you getting to feeling this delight of mind, this gladdening of mind over any rapturous experience. And I have had a lot of rapturous experience, a wide range because of various conditions and all. So I can say this with a base of, of you know, of, of experience comes. Doesn't mean I'm right, but it is. It gives me a basis from having a view, a view. So I really want to emphasize this with you that that uh, it's it's available to us here and now. This gladdening of mind, this contentment of mind, being content in the Dhamma, letting the Dhamma, just sitting in the Dhamma. Nothing else has to be going on. I'm sitting in the Dhamma. I'm living my values. I am living an intended life. An intention of what? Of not causing harm, of meeting life with loving kindness, of doing whatever degree of renunciation that's necessary for that. These are the, in the Sama Samkapa, the, the in, right intention, wise intention of the Eightfold Path, these are the, these are the qualities that, that are the, that these aspiring qualities that bring this gladdening of mind. It's, it's, we're not practicing resulting. We're practicing practicing. It's so easy to get confused and start measuring, well, I don't have the results I want. But then you're, you're measuring by result. You're not measuring by practice. And we learn to love the plateau of practice. My dear friend George Leonard uh, taught me this. He's got a little, he's uh, uh, passed some years ago, but he's got a little book called Mastery in which he talks about uh, the, the, uh, the mastery of practice and this learning to love the plateau, whatever it is. We never know what's going on underneath. We love the plateau. We're coming to show up in practice. And so, uh, uh, as, as we do this, uh, we, we understand that rapture is not a destination, and that if we've had a large experience in the past of, of rapture, our purpose in life is not to have that happen again. That's, that's, that's deluded thinking, to think that way. We are actually just the opposite. We're wanting to move on, that we're moving through this. And it is easy to get caught in the shadow in some way of, of, of even rapt attention, even saying it that way. We want our mind to always be that bright, that strong. But it's not. It's not. What we want to be from a, from a Buddhist perspective, from the Dhamma, is we want to be present for the way it is. At present to the degree that we have choice to choose non-suffering over suffering. To not have to push and pull, to lean into or pull back, as Gil was saying the other morning. But no, just to be able to be present. To be still here and to receive the experience. To be able to soften our hearts, even when it's difficult. To soften into the heart that's cold and hard. Just that intention, having this, I'm willing to be with cold, hard heart at this moment. Because this is my value, to have an open heart. This is the best I can do at this moment. And therefore, I'm sitting in the Dhamma. As I'm being with, uh, practicing metta with a cold, hard heart is like this. Can you feel the freedom that this offers us? It's so immediately available, this softening into. As the mind gets collected and unified and becomes more responsive to us, we can soften into our experience, not be hard about it, not demanding, but just soften. 
to here and to now and to the stillness, the stillness that includes the movement, sometimes very little movement, sometimes a lot, but the stillness is there too. Most cautiously, uh, as, as the caution of if, if for, you know, one never knows when one's going to have uh, some sort of a large experience, intense experience around PT, around rapture, is to not think it's special, to not think we're special, to not um, think that this is it, that this is the purpose of practice. If there's even more difficult moments in, in our mindfulness practice where we will achieve certain insights, where we'll think, oh, this is it, in terms of insights. But at least we're on the liberating path when that is happening. But for us to get caught in an experience that is a mind state moment, this, it, it seems like uh, uh, we can stay alert to that. So uh, not infrequently, people will come in and describe an experience they had two, three, five, seven years ago. And they say, every retreat I've been trying to duplicate this. Needless to say, I'm not very uh, encouraging of that, very enforcing of that idea. And so, for all of us to uh, be open to this possibility tomorrow, as we t starting now, right now and then all through tomorrow, uh, this the recognizing when the mind is content, when there's delight in the mind, when it feels light, when there's a gladdening, and then open to any degree of this uh, this uh, rapt attention that occurs. So these are my reflections around these two links and this wonderful chain of of well-being and I would ask us to sit for a moment and let the words settle into us and then drop the words and let loose of anything throughout the next 24 hours that is of no use to you. Thank you for your kind attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.